This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is March, and the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament just finished up the first weekend of play. We are through the first and second round, so we have so much to talk about, so much to recap, and we will do exactly that on this show. We have four regions that we will talk about, Bridgeport, Oklahoma City, Lexington, and Stockton, and I will actually be covering the Stockton region in our first quarter because that's where I'll be going. Tarika, oh, what have you been doing? Man, look, I have been watching literally nonstop <laughs> college basketball for like the last four days of my life, and I've loved it. And I've enjoyed watching you cover women's basketball. Oh, it is gosh. amazing when you Stop. are calling a game, and you and Dave together as a team, it's amazing. Oh, wow. That's so sweet. Stop it. But Dave Pash, let me tell you, he is a he's awesome to work with. I, I We definitely have a great crew, our producer, Ian. So thank you. But now I'm like blushing. So, um, <laughs> yes, I'm LaChina Robinson. And as you heard the voice of our fabulous producer, Tarika Foster Brasby. Um, and we are going to, first of all, hit the clipboard. And then we will move into the first quarter where we will talk about the Stockton region. So let's take a look at what I have on my clipboard, which are just my random observances from our first weekend of the NTA tournament. Let's start with the double-digit seeds. Out of the Pac-12, the Oregon Ducks, Kelly Gray's team, their first Sweet 16 appearance in program history. Shout out to Kelly Gray's and what the Ducks did going into Cameron Indoor Stadium taking out the number two seed in the Bridgeport region, the Duke Blue Devils. We will have Michelle Smith on the show later on to talk a little bit more about the Oregon Ducks. And another major, major shout-out to the only, excuse me, the lowest-seeded team left in either the NCAA Women's or Men's Tournament. That's right, the Quinnipiac. Bobcats, the number 12 seed. Boy, has it been a huge weekend for Trisha Fabry's team who blew into Coral Gables where the Miami Hurricanes were the host team. First of all, they had to beat the Big East Tournament champions in Marquette who were the number five seed in Coral Gables. They moved on from that game. Then they took out the home team, Miami, who was the number four seed. Trisha Fabry's team would win that game 85-78. to 78. So Quinnipiac is headed to the Stockton region. Congratulations. I'll talk a little bit more about them in a second. Also on the clipboard, the Pac-12, a conference record five teams in the Sweet 16, Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, UCLA, Stanford. Congratulations to a conference that is no longer on the rise. They are here. <laughs> they are up in there. Tarika, what where, would you say? Where is Cheney? Okay. Yeah, I know. We need to get her. <laughs> she's been preaching this Pac-12 on their way up song and dance for at least the last three years, and now they're finally here. She's right. I know. Well, let's not forget, they did have two teams in the Final Four last year in Oregon State and Washington. But the question is, can they get a team to the championship game? But either way, I'm telling you this, the, the Pac-12, is they got it going on. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw it out there. They definitely have it going on. The other item on my clipboard is not an orange, it's not a pear, it is a plum. It is Kelsey Plum, who continues to 
just wow us. She already held the record for career points scored. Now with 3,498, um, she stole that record from Jackie Styles. She also, this weekend, became number one in Division One women's history in points scored in a season. She now has 1,080, a record that was also held by Jackie Styles. So we want to congratulate her for that. She just continues to be amazing. She broke that record with 38 points scored against Oklahoma. Um, and she also had 11 assists in that game, which was a career high for her. So we continue to watch all the amazing things that Kelsey Plum is doing. And last but not least on the clipboard, on a down note, um, some injuries. Man, I just hate this for teams at this time of the year. Duke had lost Kyra Lambert. Of course, they're out of it at this point. So our thoughts and prayers are going to her. Um, Notre Dame lost Brianna Turner. We will talk a little bit more about this in the, in the second quarter when we bring on Graham Hayes and Michelle Vopel. But losing Brianna Turner, two-time ACC Defensive Player of the Year, the team's leading scorer and rebounder, huge for the Irish. Um, so our thoughts and prayers are with her and Muffet McGraw's program. And more of an unknown on the injury side, Alicia Gray for South Carolina um, injured her leg in, during their second round game against Arizona State. So we're not sure if she will be available as the Gamecocks move on to the Stockton region. But that is another storyline to keep your eyes on. And with that, we're going to talk the Stockton region and head into the first quarter. First quarter. All right, fans. So we're going to try to break down as much as we can. And we're moving quickly and we won't get everything and every team covered. We're sorry. We wish we could, but we're trying to keep... You know, this um, kind of short for your listening pleasure. But um, we'll start out with the Stockton region, and I'll break this down the first quarter quickly for you. I was in Columbia, South Carolina, and watched the South Carolina Gamecocks. They're the number one seed in the Stockton region. Uh, they beat UNC Asheville in their first game, 90-40. to 40. Um, On the other two teams here in Columbia were Arizona State, the number eight seed, and Michigan State, the number nine seed. Uh, Arizona State would move on after taking out Michigan State. Big respect to Tori Jankoska and everything she has done in her career. But it was a South Carolina-Arizona State game. Tarika, you watched this game. What was it like in your opinion? First off, it, the atmosphere that I could feel coming through my television screen watching this game was crazy. I mean, from the moment that it began all the way down to the end, to the down to the stretch, um, my heart literally jumped out of my chest when I saw Alicia Gray stumbling in the backcourt. I was just thinking, oh, my God, they're already without Elena Coates. We cannot watch them go without Alicia Gray as well. But the way Asia Wilson was able to step up when she needed to um, towards the end and be a present, she was a block master. Nothing was going on down low when she was there. It was so crazy, and it was just all around a great game. Yeah, you mentioned the environment, and I'll tell you this. It, it was my first time being at South Carolina really since since Dawn has really rebuilt things there. And I was just in awe. I was impressed. I mean, they had, you know, up somewhere close to 10,000 in that place. And this is with their men's team playing right in Greenville yep. around that same time. So you had some fans that were probably split. But at the end of the day, the environment of this game was just amazing. And you mentioned Atlanta Coach, and that was a big storyline as well, is Dawn Staley did announce coming into the NCAA tournament that they would be without Atlanta Coach. 
So they are missing, um, you know, that inside presence, that double-double machine, the compliment Asia Wilson. But they had been without her in some games down the stretch of the regular season in the SEC tournament. So they had confidence. And uh, I thought not only did Asia Wilson play like Superwoman, but <laughs> Kayla Davis is is a storyline that is so great to see as she is playing her best basketball you know, they've spread their offense. Kayla Davis has more space to to roam inside and, and play off the bounce. Alicia Gray. And obviously, I just continue to be impressed with Ty Harris. Um, Donye Kleine was big in that game as well. She made some big clubs. And one more thing before we leave this South Carolina-Arizona State discussion of this amazing game. Charlie Turner Thorne, so much respect for her, what she's done in her time at Arizona State. I mean, her reputation precedes her, the success, co-champs of the Pac-12 last season. But I was just in awe, honestly, Tarika, of the toughness of their team. They had senior leadership. Sophie Bruner is the name people, you know, hear more often. Um, obviously, she's had a ton of success in her career. But then also Kelsey Moose um, and Quinn Dornstarter, who, I mean, uh, we're talking about three players that, they left everything out of the floor in that game. And their supporting cast just really, you could tell they wanted to do something special for the senior group. They had been ravaged by injuries this year, never really could get on a good foot. They were already young to begin with, but Riley Richardson was the freshman point guard, outstanding. Uh, Sabrina Haynes ended up playing her best basketball towards the end of the season. I mean, you could just go across the board. Jamie Rudin. Um, came back toward the end of the season after injury and was a contributor. I just, I really, really love, love, love the toughness, the determination, and everything that Arizona State women's basketball stands for. Because it was my first time calling them in person, I just wanted to show them some love. I I can 100% agree with that, LaChina. And I think you touched on it when you talk about Charlie Turner Thorne's her ability to rile her team up. I mean, did you see her on the sideline? After Sabrina Haynes had put that three point in that really put them down by one. Oh yeah. So it was just kind of when you see that and you see her her enthusiasm and how much love and passion she has, it's understandable why her team plays the way they play. Yeah, a lot of love to the Sun Devils. So anyway, South Carolina moves on to Stockton. We'll keep our eyes on the Alicia Gray injury report. Um, Coral Gables, and we mentioned this Quinnipiac was just a, such a great team to watch. I mean. This is the Cinderella story you want to see. A 12 seed in the Sweet 16. And a group of players that just really play together. I mean, what did you think watching the Tarika? I think that they do a lot of things well. One of the things I think that impressed me most was this team is their ability to pass the ball. They are so efficient. I think they had like 24 assists on 13 turnovers on Monday. And that's just something that you don't normally see from a 12 seed, let alone a team that comes from Connecticut that isn't Connecticut. So <laughs> it's like there's, there's double duty here in Connecticut. So I think that's going to be interesting interesting to see how they're going to fare against South Carolina, especially if Alicia Gray is not able to go. I know that South Carolina is still going to be probably considered the heavy favorites, but I'm very interested to see how they're going to match up. Yeah, I'm really just excited because, I mean, this is, come on, this is what dreams are made of, Mm -hmm. right? And I love the balanced contributions. I mean, Martucci and um, Fabry, Carly Fabry, who's actually the the coach's daughter mm-hmm. is an outstanding player. Jen Faye made big plays. 
Erin um, McClure, who continued all her excellent play from the MAC tournament. So it will be definitely a fun game and that Cinderella team that everyone will keep their eyes on. Um, moving down the Stockton region, Florida State hosted in Tallahassee. Uh, they took on Western Illinois in their first game and would beat Western Illinois 87-66. to 66. And then the other two teams in Tallahassee were uh, USF out of the American Athletic Conference as the number 11 seed and Missouri out of the SEC as the sixth seed. And Sue Samrau's team uh, looked amazing. They beat Western Illinois a slow starts in both games. I will say that. They got out of the gate in the first quarter rather slow, but they beat Western Illinois 87-66. They would go on to beat Missouri 77-55. to And uh, Shakela Thomas is Shakela Thomas. Brittany Brown, Brittany Brown, I mean, they've just got contributions. They're very balanced. They look like they've regained their focus. You know, they stumbled a little bit down the stretch of the regular season and even an early outing at the ACC tournament. So you wonder, okay, how much confidence will they have? Will they be able to regain themselves? And I thought Sue Samrau's team looked really, really good. Um, so they will move on to take on Oregon State. Now in Corvallis, where the Beavers hosted Oregon State first had to beat Long Beach State, and there was a little scare there for Scott Ruick's team. They were basically narrowly getting by. I mean, I was actually quite surprised because I don't think that Sydney Weiss was really able to find her shot like we're normally used to seeing. And that the way that they were able to pull that out, I mean, I think it was like a four-point game with just a few minutes left. I think all the noise that we're giving to Quinnipiac right now would have went to Long Beach if they would have been able to pull off the first 15 seed over a two seed in NCAA women's basketball history. Yeah, that would have been crazy, but you're right. Sydney Weiss is the key to Oregon State. Now, they would, the other two teams were Creighton, the Blue Jays did win their first round game in the NCAA tournament over Toledo. That's a 17 Creighton over the number 10 seed Toledo. So it was Oregon State, too, against Creighton, and uh, Oregon State was able to power through. They limited Creighton to 52 points, and it really w- it became more of a game later. Um, you know, I, I think it was more of a lead for, for Oregon State early on, but Sydney Weiss just drives everything they do, and Scott Ruick has done a fantastic job. I'm looking forward to seeing how he game plans defensively against the balance of Florida State. And um, since I'm working in Stockton, I'll let Tarika tell me, what do you think will happen in the Stockton region, Tarika? Well, I hate to be the person to be so cliche, but I think ultimately this is South Carolina's region to own. If they can find a way to make whatever happens when it comes to their injuries work for them, I really think that they're the team that's going to pull it out. I mean, Florida State guard play has been great. If South Carolina and Florida State uh, end up seeing each other in the Elite Eight, I'm giving the edge to South Carolina. All right. Well, Tarika has spoken, and that is it for the Stockton region. Um, Fans, we have a great show for you. We are going to talk about the other three regions, uh, breaking down Lexington and also Oklahoma City with Graham Hayes and Michelle Vopel in the second quarter. And in the third quarter, we actually have, I call her a Pac-12 expert, but she's an expert of all things. That is none other than Michelle Smith, who will talk about Bridgeport, but also just the impact of the Pac-12 in general. So with that, we'll go ahead and move into the second quarter. Second quarter inside the huddle. Hey fans, that's right. It is the second quarter and we are going deeper into the NCAA women's basketball tournament, continuing to look at the different regions and what happened in the first and second rounds. And 
Right now, we have with us um, a guest who I would like to become a normal on this show. Uh, we have ESPN ESPNW writer uh, Michelle Vopel with us. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Always good to talk to you, Lachina. You too. This is a great time of year, isn't it? Just love it. It's, it's always fun. Um, I have to admit, I always get a little choked up, though, watching this time of year. There's great moments but there's also those sad moments and uh, no matter how old I get I always you know feel sad when you see the seniors and and it hits them and you are a student athlete so you know what that's like the last game and how it kind of hits you so it is great but the emotions always kind of go both ways you know my best friend reminded me as we were watching some games this weekend that our final game I I I not only cried but I had like an all-out fit in the locker room like, I was running around. I think I was screaming a little bit. It was it was a terrible scene, Michelle. Like, it was awful. But I really had felt like my heart was ripped out. Like, I did not want to play my last collegiate game. So I, I can identify with that feeling and probably went a little bit overboard for me. But anyway, um, it, it is probably one of the sadder parts of, of what we have to watch as these seniors play their last game. But there are some teams that are continuing to roll. And we are going to talk to you about... OKC. Now, when the brackets were revealed, I think there was a consensus that this region was stacked, right? Um, And just to go quickly give the fans a rundown, um, one of the sites was Waco, Texas, where Baylor is the number one seed. They took on Texas Southern. They also had LSU and Cal in Waco as the eight and nine seed. Cal would beat LSU and took on Baylor. Uh, and Baylor really won in dominant fashion, and, and so they moved on 86 to 46. They will be in that OKC region. Moving down, Louisville, Kentucky, um, Tennessee Lady Vols were there. We'll talk a little bit about them in a second. They took on Dayton in their first round game. Wasn't easy. Dayton really put up a fight. The Flyers were well into that, and uh, Tennessee would ultimately prevail. Some big plays by Diamond and Shields in that game, and Louisville, the host team at the KFC Yum Center, took on Chattanooga. Jim Foster's team, just not enough firepower. They would lose to Louisville, 82-62, to so we, it's set up Tennessee and Louisville, um, and it would be the cards that would prevail in that game, and it really was not a great showing from the Tennessee Lady Vols, but again, we will come back to that. And just to finish out OKC, in Seattle, um, Oklahoma was the sixth seed taking on Gonzaga, and Oklahoma, Sherry Cole's team would move on, and they would face Washington, who beat number 14 Montana State in the first round, number 14 seed Montana State, and Washington, of course, the three seed playing at home, and they just rolled over Oklahoma in the second round game, 108 to 82, so Kelsey Plum is moving on, we'll talk about her. This bracket is full. Last night was Starkville, Mississippi, um, where we had DePaul, the Blue Demons, took on Northern Iowa in their first game. They would beat Northern Iowa, move on to the second round. Um, In the home team, Mississippi State, the number two seed, took on Troy in their first game, won 110-69, where Vic Schaefer did not start his starting lineup. Um, We'll get into that in a second as well. Mississippi State would beat DePaul 92-71, to move on to the OKC 
region. Now, fans, we're going to take a quick pause because from what I understand, Tarika, we've got another guest on the line, right? We absolutely do. We have ESPNW writer Graham Hayes on the line as well. So we've got a double dose of women's basketball knowledge on this on this quarter. I love it. So we are going to bring in Graham Hayes. Graham, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you are joining myself. Obviously, you heard Tarika already, and we've got Michelle Vogel on the line. So since we have both of you, we are going to talk OKC as well as Lexington. And, Graham, we'll let you get into the Lexington, but chime in if you want to on OKC, because I believe, were you in Louisville for the first and second rounds? Yes, yeah. Good. Okay. So we did the rundown of OKC. Let's start with Baylor. Michelle, who um, was rejoined by Alexis Jones. Obviously, that was a big story coming into the NCAA tournament. Would Alexis Jones be able to return from injury? She did that, and Baylor looks to be playing their best basketball. What are you seeing from them so far? Yeah, they're already uh, a deep team. Even when Alexis is out, this is a deep team and has a lot of guards. But having her back is such a big deal because, you know, she's a fantastic scorer. She's a senior I think she gives them a lot of confidence, a very good defender. And I feel like almost in some ways losing that game to West Virginia in the Big 12 championship game was – I felt like maybe Kim Mulkey wasn't super upset about that. In some ways maybe she thought, hey, this is kind of a good thing because I'm really going to have their attention now. And they just absolutely you know, plowed through their first two rounds. Yeah, I mean, we've heard coaches say that before, right, that that's the best way for them to get their team's attention if they have to suffer a loss. I mean, obviously, Connecticut does not need that, does not apply to the Huskies. But (laughs) for the most part, I mean, this team seems hungry, refocused. And I think you're right about Alexis Jones in that she is their best creator off the dribble. Like this time of the year, you've got to have guards that can create their own shot, that can hit big shots, that are okay in pressure situations, And she is just, uh, in my opinion, a tool that they are going to have to have and need moving forward. Now, let's go down to to Louisville, Kentucky, and and both of you can chime in on this. Before we move on to talk Louisville in this matchup with Baylor, the Tennessee Lady Vols lost in the first round for the first time in program history. Now, Graham, I know that you were front and center from that game. What do you think was the biggest difference in in Louisville getting the win over Tennessee and advancing to to Oklahoma City? Well, yeah, as 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 try as tried as it sounds, sometimes I think it just comes down to making shots at some point. And you had, you know, both both of those big threes, Tennessee's, and you know, uh, Russell to Shields and Nard going up against Louisville's Moore, Durr, and Hines Allen. And you know, for 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 a long, long time for Louisville, it was pretty much just Mariah Moore, but uh, kind of carrying the team. But then in the fourth quarter, Durr really stepped up. So you had two of those three hitting, and Tennessee. Never really got much out of the Shields. It was in foul trouble early, and Russell couldn't couldn't never really get going inside. Yeah, I really expected more from Diamond to Shields. She had been in that foul trouble, and I was thinking to myself, and I think I may have tweeted this. I was like, "Wow, she's going to have a big second half." But looking at Louisville, Mariah Moore had been miserable to end the regular season, the ACC tournament. She's always a great distributor but had not scored the ball well. So that was great for Jeff Wall's team, for her to get going. Asia Durr, I mean, talk about that next wave of really exciting players to watch. She was fantastic. I thought Kylie Shook got some key defensive stops on Mercedes Russell. For Tennessee, Michelle, Jamie Nard was great. But overall, what do you take away from this first, uh, excuse me, from this second round exit, I'm sorry, that's the first time Tennessee had lost in the second round. But what do you take from this second round exit for the Lady Vols? 
you know, I think, LaChina, I think you tweeted um, the fact that you just didn't see – you couldn't figure out what Tennessee was trying to do offensively, and that's been something all season we've wondered about. Uh, I, you know, I have to think they need a clean slate in some ways there um, starting next year because they never – they were just so inconsistent this year playing – so well uh, at times against teams and then losing games you thought they had no business losing and they have weapons and yet they weren't able to get their weapons a lot of times into positions where they could score well so I don't know what's going to happen there um, I, you know they have a good recruiting class coming in we don't know you know will Diamond Shields you know declare for the WNBA draft will she be back uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty but there's also you know I think a lot of people are are concerned about um, the way that this team looked when it wasn't playing well this year yeah I mean Jamie Nard again had that 28 points the Shields three of 12 I mean she did get to the free throw line 12 times she had 15 points uh, Mercedes Russell had 11 points 13 rebounds I mean those were the only three players in double figures um, and there were just some instances, yeah, I, I, I absolutely tweeted that, where I was like, I just, I'm not sure. I didn't see a sense of urgency on the offensive end or any plan for how they were going to attack Louisville, and I just thought Louisville played with more confidence. So we will definitely keep our eyes on what happens um, in Tennessee because, I mean, it just, yeah, I think overall, and I had some fans tweeting me just about how challenging it was to watch this team in stretches this year so anyway Louisville will move on to play Baylor um and obviously this is a huge storyline for for fans that do not know these two teams met and actually Michelle I will let you get a little bit into the history of of Baylor and Louisville uh it was I mean it's it's one of the weirdest uh games I've ever seen in my life and I think you know if I kept working for another 30 years I'm not sure I would see a weirder one and I say that in that uh, as, as great a coach as Jeff Waltz is and as much talent as that Louisville team had they still had eight losses that year um, this was in 2013 in the Sweet 16 they were the number five seed Baylor was had one loss they were a number one seed they were defending national champions you know with Odyssey Sims and Brittany Griner they had rolled through their first two rounds I really don't think many people thought you know, that Baylor was going to lose. You know, I think they thought they were headed for a national championship matchup with UConn that year. And the game from the beginning felt weird because uh, Griner seemed out of sorts. Louisville did a great job defending her. They were very physical with her. And Louisville hit 16 three-pointers in that game, which is amazing. And yet it still came down to, you know, Odyssey Sims having having a chance to win it. Uh, Baylor only lost by one. And I just remember watching it thinking this game is like, it's like, it's like burned into my mind. Uh, I was there in Oklahoma City and it was, it was bizarre. And then Louisville is so incredibly happy. And literally, uh, I, I've very rarely seen a locker room with more just, people just bawling their heads off and like in disbelief than than Baylor was it was actually kind of hard to be in after that game yeah I mean I I remember that Graham I'm I'm sure you remember it was probably one of the biggest upsets if not the biggest upset in NCAA women's tournament history Um, and, and for these two teams to meet at this point I mean I think there's going to obviously be 
a lot of conversation. I mean, around, okay, what's Baylor's mindset in this situation? Are they out for revenge? You know, does Jeff Walls come up with another crazy game plan? Because remember, they shot a ton of threes. Um, you know, they were very physical with Brittany Griner. And so they will, they will meet um, in what will be probably one of the more anticipated matchups in any region, in any point in this NCAA tournament. So, um, that will be something we keep our eyes on. Uh, moving to the bottom half, um, you know, it, Mississippi State, I'll start there. Um, Nick Schaefer obviously did a fantastic job. They beat DePaul to move on um, to Oklahoma City, 92-71. to 71. Very interesting. He's been starting his bench um, and, and bringing his starters off of the pine. Uh, it seems to have worked. They look very motivated. And more than anything, they've scored points. They had 110 points in the first game, and they went over Troy. Um, 92 points in their second game. They went over to Paul, but they're getting ready to face Mike Neighbors and the Washington Huskies. And and Graham, I I know we're going to get way more into you with the Lexington region, but Kelsey Plum and what she has done overall, obviously now, in addition to being the all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball, she now has the single season record as well. Uh, breaking Jackie Styles' previous record in Division One um, for points scored in the season with 1,080 to date. Uh, what have just been your overall thoughts of her? Oh, it's hard not to, to be uh, extremely impressed with what she's done. And you mentioned the Lexington Regional, which is actually where she was last year. It's kind of where she, I think, burst on the national scene. Obviously, everybody in the Pac-12 had seen her scoring points for years, but it was, it was in, in that Lexington Regional. Uh, last season getting the final four through there she kind of came to everybody's attention um you know it's it's just the 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 way she's able able to to score against defenses that are obviously set out to go against her because it's not like washington has a ton of other options they aren't the deepest team in the world they aren't they don't have a a, you know a a wealth of shooters they can can kind of spread out around kelsey benefit from that defensive attention on her and yet she still is able to find a way to score with you know kind of a similar game to the way jackie styles did it that kind of Mid-range game, able to get to the basket off the, off the dribble, but able to pull up, pull up and hit those mid-range jumpers. And it's just the 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 way she's able to do it so consistently with so much attention, both from defenses and just from the world, from the media and the fans, is just really, really impressive. It is. And you mentioned our supporting cast. I think someone who is starting to get even more attention um, is Chantel Osahor because what a talent. I mean, we're talking about a player who's a pa- great passer. She's, you know, Pac-12 leading rebounder. Um, I just can't even – there aren't even enough words to describe her game because I've never seen a player as unique. So, fans, if you're watching Washington, yes, Kelsey Plum is a headliner, but number zero – for Mike Neighbors, Chantel Osahor, outstanding, the 6'2 center for the Huskies. Now, what intrigues you, Michelle, other than Vic Schaefer having to come up with a plan to slow down Kelsey Plum? What else is intriguing about this matchup for you? You know, it's it's been interesting about what Mississippi State has done. You look at their point totals for the first two games, and that's like uh, almost like four games worth of points for, for Mississippi <laughs> yeah. State. Um and that they've done it with this different lineup. I think the lineup changes, there's a combination, I think, of things happening, and, and, and Vic Schaefer's been a little coy about this, but I think that Tierra McCowan was somebody he was wanting to get into the starting lineup anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And 
felt like she had played really well during the SEC tournament and maybe it was better to have her start and see how she did with that than coming off the bench. I don't know that that was necessarily something that seemed like a message or disciplinary. I think that was something he wanted to do. I think he did want to send a message you know, in terms of his other starters that he benched, including Victoria Vivians, who has struggled. Um, she struggled with her shot, and she struggled with, I, I feel like, her body language and what it, how engaged she seems in, in games. At least that's the way that it was at the, big, at the SEC tournament. So that's what's going to be interesting. Is he going to stick with this lineup that he had for the first two rounds where he probably felt certainly in the first game felt really comfortable doing it and feeling like okay you know we can do this against Troy and then having success against DePaul which wasn't an easy game is he going to stick with that or is he going to go back to you know largely what they did all season and and I'm going to be really interested to see how he does that. Yeah, when you look at Vivian's numbers, I mean, her best game was in the first round against Troy. I mean, she didn't shoot the ball that well against DePaul, and I think he's waiting for her to get into a rhythm. I mean, against Troy, she was 5 for 11, but at the same time, you know, you're going to need her at some point as the teams get better. And DePaul is a, is a great example. Now, DePaul's not the greatest defensive team. They actually allow for a lot of possessions because of the pace they play. Um, but you better believe that Mike Neighbors is going to have a game plan, and, and, and Washington is a, a more focused defensive team. And so that scoring, especially in the half court with Vivians, will be important. But you mentioned something very interesting, um, and, and this is worth thinking about. I mean, how many players have someone that comes off of the bench that's 6'7", and that's Tierra McCowan, and in this situation, starting. So... Six seven is something that it's hard to to simulate, you know. And I'm very interested to see how much of an impact she will have on the defensive end for Mississippi State and the game plan, obviously, uh, for Kelsey Plum will be fun. Okay, so before we move on, both of you guys, any other thoughts on Oklahoma City? And if not, who do you who do you think comes out of it? You know, I th- I still think Baylor's going to come out of this because I think they're playing really well right now. I think they're motivated, and having Alexis Jones back really gives them so much depth. Kim Mulkey has said this is the deepest team she's ever had, and I, I think they're going to come out of out of this region. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. This, is, this has been a tournament where we've seen so many strong teams sort of struggle for stretches of games or entire games, and sure, maybe Texas Southern and Cal hasn't been the hardest row, but Baylor is that team that just – has looked like it's 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 in a thing pretty much from the first tip through where we are right now. Yeah, I I'll tell you this. I I think this Louisville team, the way they are playing, the confidence they're playing with, the number of weapons they have, Jeff Wall scares me as a game planner <laughs> because he is to me one of the brightest minds we have. Um, you know, when it comes to just finding ways not only to motivate his team but game plans that may be a little unorthodox, a little bit different from what we're used to seeing. So I'm not so quick to write Louisville off. I think that is going to be whoever wins that game, though, obviously I believe will be the team um, to move on to the Final Four. Well, fans, we are not done. We still have Michelle Volpa with us. We still have Graham Hayes with us. But we're going to head over to the Lexington region. Now some really big news Um, Coming out of South Bend, I mean, I I couldn't think of anything worse at this time of the year for a coach or a team 
or a program as the Irish leading scorer and rebounder Brianna Turner is out for the rest of the NCAA tournament with a knee injury suffered in the second round victory over Purdue. Now, Notre Dame, the number one seed in the Lexington region, uh, will obviously have to change things around a little bit, rely on their guards. Now, they will face Ohio State. And before we break down the region, um, Graham, I'll come to you. Just what are your initial thoughts on this loss for the Irish? Well, I, I, I think the first part of it has to be the personal side of it. You, you, you just feel awful for Turner. I mean, you, you would feel awful for anybody, but for somebody who's dealt with the injuries she has, the, the shoulder injuries in the past, and she's just a you know a, a very thoughtful, interesting person, and you just feel really awful for her having having to miss at this point in the year. But on the basketball side of things, it's I mean it's really interesting when you look at the two teams that are going to meet now in that game. You've got Notre Dame suddenly without Turner and Ohio State coming in, probably adding back Stephanie Mavunga, one of their really good posts. Uh, so you know you, those two things kind of flip the script for this game right out of head. Yeah, I I'm really first of all obviously feeling for the Irish with everything is con- everything considered Michelle, but we saw this happen to them uh, before. We saw Natalia Chanwa in 2014. We lost her in the Elite Eight due to a knee injury, um, and, and Notre Dame did move on to the Final Four. But uh, Michelle, what were your thoughts when you heard about Turner's injury? Well, you know, I was watching I was watching that game on television. As soon as she did it, I think all of us who've watched women's basketball knew. You know, it was you that yep. least of that that look. You you the the way that her knee kind of buckled, went down, you you pretty much knew it was an ACL. And so, uh, you know, I think you just kind of felt sick the the rest of the evening. And you got to give the Irish guards a lot of a lot of credit because then you know in that game Purdue's playing really well and and Catherine Westbell files out before the overtime so that was a that was a guard tour de force in overtime for Notre Dame and that that's that university has become a great guard you know program we've seen that now for several years but I think it's going to be really tough uh, you know Graham covered Ohio State and really I think how well they played um, in beating Kentucky and if they have Mavunga back that's you know that's another big weapon for them obviously with you know the guard weapons they have with with Kelsey Mitchell it's going to be tough I think now for Notre Dame to get out of this region. Yeah, I agree. When you look at their roster, I mean, they do have now you know, keeping in mind Catherine Westbeld had was not healthy towards the end of the season. She suffered suffered an ankle injury that kept her in and out of the lineup. Uh, but she, you would really need her experience more than anything. But also, Erin Bowley did get some time when Westfeld was out. So she has some experience there in the post. And they have a 6'4 senior and Christina Nelson, who has seen some time. But none of those players are built like Breonna Turner. I mean, one of the plays that we are so used to seeing is that, you know, that, that alley-oop pass from Lindsey Allen to Breonna Turner that no one can catch, no one can get near, and it's part of their offense, something that they they rely on. She helps them defensively, which I think has been, if anything, their weakness this season is, you know, their defense. So she is that insurance um, at the rim that I really believe the Irish will need. And so that's a storyline, especially if Mavunga comes back, um, you know, to see how that all shakes out. Now, really quickly for fans in the Lexington region, um, as we mentioned, Notre Dame advanced to Lexington as well as Ohio State. Notre Dame beat Robert Morris, then took out a very feisty Purdue team, took them overtime. Um, and Purdue was actually the only upset 
in our first round of games, the number nine seed, they beat Green Bay. So that's how they got there. So we've set with the matchup between Notre Dame and Ohio State. Ohio State, in their first game, beat Western Kentucky. Um, and then played Kentucky in Lexington. Um, the Wildcats beat Belmont in their first game, which was arguably one of the best games that we had so far. Um, Cam Newbauer's team, Belmont, boy, did they give the Wildcats all they could handle. So anyway, Kentucky went on to play Ohio State, and we had to say goodbye to Michaela Epps as um, Kevin McGuff's team did advance. So moving to the bottom half of Lexington, let's talk a little bit about NC State, Texas. Now, before we get there, for fans that have not been watching, we will catch you up. NC State beat Auburn in the first round. Texas beat Central Arkansas in the first round. And then Texas met NC State with a chance to advance to the Sweet 16. And uh, you talk about an amazing game. I mean, Graham, your thoughts just on what that game was like watching and Michelle as well. Because in my opinion, I mean, my heart was beating so fast and so hard. I don't know how those coaches made it through those last few minutes. What were your thoughts? It was it was really fascinating. That was one of those games just because where I was on site, I ended up having to watch it after the fact. So even at that point, knowing the outcome, it was it still kind of got your, your heart racing watching that fourth quarter with, with the way things were going. Um, you know, I, I think normally you would look at that kind of a game and wonder if maybe it points out some, some, some flaws for a team or if, there, if there's reason to worry about Texas. But when you look at a team that is still kind of on that up, upward swing as far as building that program back up, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world to have that kind of a game in, in the second round, especially because NC State played really well to force that kind of game. It wasn't necessarily that Texas was playing poorly. So I, I think to have that kind of game and survive it at that point in the tournament actually you know, it, it ends up being a positive sign for, for Texas. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you're absolutely right about – I mean, this was a battle. Texas really had to earn that. And some people, you know, there's some questionable calls down the the stretch for both teams. But Joyner Holmes made huge plays. The freshman for Texas continues to just – oh, my gosh. And obviously, Brooke McCarty hitting big shots as she has all year, Big 12 Player of the Year. On NC State's side, I don't know that we've seen a better backcourt performance so far than what we saw from Maya Spencer and Dominique Wilson, who were outstanding. Maya Spencer ended up fouling out of that game. Tough to watch after putting up a 30 spot. Um, What did you walk away from that game with, Michelle? You know how, like, all of us during the season, we have these moments where we're talking to a kid after a game, and they say something that really sticks with us. And I had a chance to talk to Maya Spencer um, when I was at NC State earlier in the season in, in late January, and she said to me, I really think we can do something special this year. And she said it was so much emotion that I that it just stuck with me. And I remember, you know, when she fouled out, which I do think was a, was a tough call on a fifth foul yeah, with yeah. one minute left, and she goes to the bench, and she wants to, you know, she wants to still stay engaged with her team, but she's just crushed. And she's I just, distraught. Yeah, yes. I, I, I felt that for her. But – you know what? Sometimes people, the last game they ever have is one they regret because they didn't play that well. There's a kid who can say, I put up my career high in my last game, and I yep. did everything I could, and, and maybe that makes that you know a, a little bit you know easier. Dominique Wilson played great, too, in that game. Just as you said, the, the guard playing that game was terrific, and maybe that is really a good thing for Texas to have sur- survived that. And, you, you know, Joyner Holmes made two great plays. She, she took the charge, and then, you know, she got the, the rebound and a stick back. And for a freshman to step up in the moment like that had to feel, you know, really good for her and for Karen Aston to see it. 
Yeah, and they're going to need that because they're going to move on to meet the Stanford Cardinal. Now, Stanford didn't have a very easy first-round game. New Mexico State um, did rally and, and really gave the Cardinal all they had. Um, on the other side of that, it was the host team, Kansas State. This was in Manhattan, Kansas, took on Drake. Um, Kansas State would move on. So it was Kansas State versus Stanford, and Stanford seemed to – roll fairly easily over K-State, maybe after getting that first-round scare out of them. Uh, Tara Vanderveer's team was ready for the second round. So Stanford moves on to meet Texas. Um, Graham, what stands out to you in that matchup? What are you looking forward to? To me, that's one of the, one of the games you know, of, of this of this third round that I'm looking, looking forward to the most, uh, not just because I'll have a chance to be there, but, um, but it, it feels like it's two teams that, are really coming into their own at, at the right time of the year. Sometimes you get to this point and, you know, a, a team's kind of already peaked in January or February and they, they made it to the Sweet 16, but they're kind of hanging on by a thread. That certainly doesn't feel like the case here. And you've got teams that, that met, you know, very early in the season. And it's very obvious from watching in the first two rounds just how much both of them have improved and how much the, the, the roles that people are filling have changed. And, and then they've really kind of grown grown to understand what, what's being asked of them. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it, it has not – I think people forget how young Karen Ashton's team is, you know, because they are so talented. They have a lot of young pieces. And honestly, I would probably say next year, look out. I mean, they've done great things this year, but they're still kind of coming together. And this Stanford team is interesting, uh, Michelle, in that, you know, Erica McCall has obviously been the focus, but there's so much balance on this team. You don't know who's going to get hot. Uh, Samuelson is always a factor, but in my opinion, it's Tara Vanderveer's ability to come up with a game plan to shut you down. That is scary at this time of year. What are you looking forward to most uh, with Texas and Stanford, Michelle? Well, I'm, I have to admit I'm a little envious of Graham being at this one, but I, I did get a <laughs> chance to uh, to watch Stanford in person. I was at Kansas State for the first two rounds, and that first-round game against New Mexico State in some ways wasn't terribly surprising, maybe the fact that it went as late as it did with Stanford trailing after three quarters. But Mark Track, a guy who's you know coached in California high schools for years and then at Pepperdine and USC, had a lot of experience coaching against you know Stanford in his career. And New Mexico State has really quick guards. So I wasn't mm-hmm. too surprised that they were able to throw some stuff at Stanford that was, was difficult for Stanford to handle. But it was almost like the fourth quarter of that game – a, a switch was was flipped, and Erica McCall uh, told me last night. She said, "Hey, this was like we say code red. You know, it's time to to really to focus." Uh, what I'm looking forward to most is Alana Smith, the the sophomore for Stanford, who I think has really mm-hmm. come on. Um, she's a delightful mm-hmm. kid um, from Australia who just seems to have really found herself uh, in the last few weeks and played really well uh, in the in the Pac-12 championship game. Her and then and then another youngster, Joyner Holmes, who, who we mentioned earlier. That's going to be a lot of fun watching those two. And then we'll see. You know, we know how Samuelsons can can shoot the three pointer. You know, all those Samuelson girls. We'll see uh, Carly Samuelson and then Brittany McPhee has been really good. Yeah, also for Stanford in terms of her shooting. So that's it's going to be one. I think one of the most fun matchups of the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, you mentioned Smith. I mean, she had tw- she had 19 points in 26 minutes uh, against Kansas State. She had seven rebounds, and then McPhee 21 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Her first 25 and five game this season. Um, Stanford is going to their 10th 
straight Sweet 16. They have the second longest active streak behind UConn in doing so. So Tara Vanderveer uh, is, is, is in March form. We'll say that. Uh, they're looking to reach the Elite Eight in consecutive appearances for the first time since making five straight regional finals from 2008 to 2012. I call that the Ogumake, um <laughs> time in St- at Stanford. So it will definitely be a fun matchup. And I also think it's cool that we have two programs that historically have have really built the foundation for women's basketball. You know, I mean, um, with Jody Conrad, what she did at Texas, uh, and Karen Asson kind of being that young and up-and-comer, and then also Tara Vanderveer, who we know is at 1,000-plus. So what do you guys see happening in the Lexington region? I'm going to go with Stanford. I, I, I think, um, you know, and this is unfortunate, but I think Notre Dame's injury has made them vulnerable, both to Ohio State and then to whomever they face in the final. I, I just liked a lot of what I saw from Stanford um, last night and the fact that they seem like they're peaking. As Graham said earlier, that there's it's a perfect analogy that sometimes some teams seem like they're hanging on by a thread and some teams feel like, hey, we've kind of figured this out. And the interesting thing is I, I saw this with a Stanford volleyball team. It was, it was very similar. They were second in the Pac-12, just like the basketball team, and then they just seemed to hit their stride right, you know, at the in, in the NCAA tournament, ended up winning the national championship. I don't know if Stanford can win a national championship, but I think they're coming out of this regional. How about you, Grant? Uh, I, I would tend to agree that the, that the the team that wins that game is, is going to be the one that ends up in, in Dallas. I would actually pick Texas. Uh, I just I think it will be a very close game, but um, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm impressed by this Texas team. I, I mean, They've been playing this kind of defense for a while under Karen Asin. They've had that strength, but this team feels like it just has more more choices on offense, more options, more people who can score without needing for those points to come off of defense necessarily. I think mm-hmm. they've reached a point having Burke McCarty develop, having Ariel Atkins develop. Joyner Holmes comes in and has just been so much fun to watch right away. They've got those pieces that can create points as well as depend on the other end. So I feel like they've, this program has really reached a point where it's ready to take this next step. You know, that's a great point because you look at the backcourt and you mentioned Atkins or you mentioned McCarty. You know, th- this team and even, you know, I don't know, Kelsey Lang, they just have this toughness to them, you know, and it's hard to explain. You know, you look at their schedule and what Karen Aston put together. I mean, gosh, they were tested. Okay, they had their little falter towards the end of the season, but they just have so much fight in them. It's hard for me to pick against them, but then I can't pick against Tara. Like, this is going to probably be the hardest game to predict because (laughs) Tara is, she's a genius, and she just finds ways. So, um, but I do agree that the team that wins that matchup will go on uh, because I just, I'm not sure if Ohio State has what it takes to beat one of those two teams um, if they are to advance. And then Notre Dame, obviously, they've got their work cut out for them without Brianna Turner. And with that, we are through the Lexington region. I want to thank Michelle and Graham both for their time. Um, let fans know where they can, they can follow you here, uh, what region you'll be covering, and, and where you are on social media and that kind of thing. Let's start with you, Michelle. Uh, I'll be in Oklahoma City. Uh, I'm Michelle V on Twitter and um... – you know, that's that's. I try to tweet as much as I can until I'm right on deadline, and then I'm too too panicked <laughs> to tweet sometimes. Gotcha, gotcha. Graham, how about you? Where can we find you? I will be uh, back in Lexington, back making that same drive this week, uh, and I am on Twitter at, uh, at Graham Hayes. 
Oh, Graham, I've missed you. Can I just say that? You and I haven't really spent any time. And I just want you to know I miss you. I, I love, you know, when you're back in the mix with women's basketball, because I know we have to share you with other sports. We share Michelle as well. But um, always great to have both of you on the show. And uh, just thank you for all the work you do. I mean, God, if we didn't have people like you covering our game at the press conferences, writing stories. I mean, women's basketball, so, so lucky to have both of you and all the work you do. So thank you so much. And we'll be following you in your regions. Have fun. See you at the final four, Lejana. Fans, stay right where you are because we still have one more region to go. We're going to welcome in Michelle Smith, who will bring us through Bridgeport and, of course, the fourth quarter. So stick where you are. Third quarter. Scouting report. Hey fans, welcome into the third quarter and we are going to talk the Bridgeport region during this time and just to give fans a rundown, a recap of what happened in Bridgeport, UConn, the number one overall seed, rolled over Albany, the 16th seed, uh, 116 to 55. Their second round game, uh, they really just pummeled the Syracuse Orange unexpectedly. I thought that would be a more competitive game. But UConn had 94. Syracuse scored 64 points. Keita Nurse, 29 points in that game. UConn had its sixth 30 assist game of the season. So more dominant games from the Huskies as they move into Bridgeport as the number one seed. Uh, Moving along to L.A., UCLA, wow, what a performance uh, they put on. First of all, taking on number 13, Boise State, they won 83-56. to Um, In the other game in L.A., Texas A&M had the largest comeback in NCAA women's basketball tournament history. They were down 21 points to number 12 pin out of the Ivy League, and they would go on to win that game 63-61. to But Gary Blair's team just did not have enough against the UCLA Bruins in the second round. They would go down 75-43. Corey Close's team is in the Sweet 16. Moving down, Maryland, College Park. Big, big, really exciting game um, early on with West Virginia, the number six seed, and number 11, Elon, um, out of North Carolina. Charlotte Smith's team did not have enough. West Virginia, Mike Carey's group, would move into the second round. And the other first round game in Maryland, the Terps, 103-61 to over the number 14 seed Bucknell. So the Terps would meet West Virginia. They would win that game in dominant fashion, 83-56. to Congratulations to Brenda Freeze. Moving on down to Durham, the last site in the Bridgeport region. Um, Temple, Tanya Cardoza's team face Oregon, maybe one of the biggest and best surprises of the NCAA Women's Tournament out of the Pac-12. Remember, they were coming off a run in the Pac-12 tournament, and Kelly Gray's team won by one point over Temple. Remember, Oregon is the number 10 seed. Temple was seven, so Oregon would move on, um, and they would face Duke that beat Hampton in their first-round game at home, 94-31, to and Duke was without the services of Kyra Lambert, who um, appears to have suffered a knee injury against Hampton and was not available in that game versus Oregon. Keep in mind, Duke is the two seed in the Bridgeport region, and they lost at home. Their first loss at home all year. Kelly Graves' young team uh, would beat the Blue, the Duke Blue Devils 74-65. to And right now, 
with that recap, I want to bring in um, one of my favorite writers. He's a West Coast specialist, but she knows and does it all. Please join me in welcoming in Michelle Smith to the show. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, LaChina. Happy to be here. Best time of year. Yes, I know. We're so excited. So when we look at uh, this Bridgeport region, again, we expected UConn to be dominant. Yes, they, they beat Syracuse by more than I thought. They just looked fantastic. Um, so they roll on now 109 straight wins. But UCLA was the dominant team that maybe I did not expect. The win over Boise State, the win over Texas A&M. What have you seen from Corey Close's group so far in the NCAA tournament? I've seen offense, which is great because obviously they've got athleticism. They've got quickness. Jordan Canada is one of the best defenders probably in the country. They have a Monique Billings who's tall and long and can get her hands on a lot of shots inside the paint and things. But I think I'm seeing is offense, and that's great because the teams that are moving forward in this tournament are teams that can score. Teams that have defensive identities, when you start getting deeper and deeper into the NCAA tournament, don't do as well. Good defensive teams do fine, but teams that stake their identity on defense, if you can't score, you will not advance in the NCAA tournament. And I see offense out of UCLA, which I think is really, really promising for them, and obviously they're going to need every bit of it against UConn. Yeah, and you look at the Boise State game and you say, okay. But let's look inside the box score here with their Texas A&M game, which, you know, Texas A&M is known for their defense, right? That's what Gary Blair hangs his head on. Um, Corver, 7 for 10 from long range. I mean, I'm just like, talk about shooting the ball well at the right time. How much of an asset can she be or have you seen her as a part of this team, not only just a shooter, but overall? Well, I mean, I think that when, you know, I think they've got to rely more on being a really good, solid defensive team if Corver's not hitting. But, the, again, the farther you get into the tournament, Corver has to do that for them. So maybe she doesn't have to go 7 for 10. But Corver's got to hit threes. She's got to make that three-point shot a threat for them so that it opens up the lane for Canada and it gives Billings room to work inside. You, ha- They have to have that from her. They're absolutely going to need that from her against UConn if they want to keep pace in that game. Carrie Corver's got to hit threes, and she did that for them in a big way against A&M. But it's huge for them. Yeah, I mean, they also had 18 points off turnovers. Um, they had 17 points off of the bench. And, and let's just take a look at a couple other players. So Corver with 21, Jordan Canada with 12, Monique Billings, as you mentioned, she also had 12 points. Um, Kennedy Burke had nine points in this game. Paulina Herzler, I hope I'm saying that correctly, with nine mm-hmm. points in the game. So as you look ahead in the Bridgeport region, and obviously they've got Connecticut, what are some factors that you think uh, will play a part in, in UCLA staying in this game and, and maybe some matchups that you think they can expose? Well, I mean, I think I, I mean, I think obviously just going back to what we just said, Corver, they've got to be able to hit three pointers. Corver's huge in that. I think points off turnovers, being able to generate turnovers and generate offense off of defense is big because UCLA is quick. They can get down the court fast. You know, Monique Billings is going to be a huge matchup inside for them because she's such an athletic player. She patterns herself or wants to pattern herself kind of after the Agumake model. She's talked with Neka and Shanae a lot and wants to be that kind of player. She's going to have to be that kind of player inside against UConn. 
So, I mean, I think that basically UCLA needs to do everything well that it does well to stay competitive in a game against a UConn team that we know is complete, and they do so many things well. So, you know, UCLA's got to bring it all. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting matchup because – you know, a team that's playing with this much confidence and then you run into UConn, right? And you're like, okay, does that confidence continue? Can you keep it going for an entire game? I mean, I say this all the time about Connecticut. You have to be competitive for 40 minutes just as a baseline. Yeah, you got to get shots. You got to get stops. You got to take care of the ball. You got to be able to stop UConn runs. But, you know, can you keep your competitive spirit when things aren't going your way and you know how UConn can that can play into the psyche because they can be such a dominant team in those situations. So let's move down. Um, and the, the other matchup in the Bridgeport region is number three, Maryland Terrapins in number 10, Oregon, a team you have been able to watch a lot on the West Coast. Obviously, uh, Sabrina Inescu is, is a big storyline this season as a freshman leading the country in triple doubles. But to go into Cameron Indoor Stadium, win two games, including pulling out a very close game, beating Temple. Um, and now you face the Maryland Terrapins. Um, what should America know about Kelly Gray's team? Well, I mean, what I think what's interesting about Oregon is sort of this two sides of a coin idea that they've got three freshmen that they rely heavily on. You've got Sabrina Unescu, who's going to be one of the biggest stars in the country next year and probably one of the biggest in the Pac-12 once Kelsey Plemons graduated, but is such a, you know, I mean, she's kind of a big body, but she does so many things well, you know, from the guard spot, she's really an exciting player and incredible confidence for a first year player. I mean, this girl knows what she's doing. She's a floor leader. She's talking to her teammates. So they've got that. They've got Ruthie Hebert, who led the post player who led the Pac-12 in field goal percentage this year. They have players who are playing right now with house money, right? They don't, there was not a lot of expectation on them. They didn't come burdened down with, you know, oh, we have to do this or we have to do that. They were 8-10 and 10 in the Pac-12. They had a great run through the Pac-12 tournament. They survived the meat grinder that was the Pac-12 this year because it was a tough place to play. And <laughs> Kelly Graves on the other side of the coin is an experienced coach. He's done this. He's taken Gonzaga teams when he was in Spokane to the Sweet 16. He took them to the Elite Eight once. So he knows how to pull off these upsets. Um, I mean, I think this may be a better game than the seeds would indicate. I think that Oregon will make a run at them. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we're talking about uh, arguably one of the more experienced teams um, when you look at the, the core for Maryland of Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, Rihanna Jones. And, yes, they've got some younger pieces around them, including a freshman point guard and Destiny Slocum. But, you know, I guess the question is, do they does, does Oregon have a counter for Brianna Jones? You know, she is a player who size-wise, her girth, I mean, she has really been dominant on the glass. Uh, do you see her being a big factor in this matchup? I do, but I think that Oregon is also gone. I mean, you know, they played a few games against Chantel Okafor this year, who's a really dominant big body inside with a lot, you know, with a glass eater and that. I mean, I think they've seen it. I think that what we're seeing with the Pac-12 teams, and I, we probably will move forward and talk more about that, but what we've seen is most of these Pac-12 teams have seen some of the best individual players in the country through their league play. You know, they've seen some of the best 
systems in the country through their league play. This conference was really strong this year. And if anybody had any doubt about that, I think that doubt probably got removed by a 7-0 and start, five teams in Sweet 16. But I think Oregon has seen enough and has played against enough elite talent that I think that they'll be ready for Maryland. What I think will be interesting is, can Oregon now at this point in the tournament can they still play as freely without expectation? We got nothing to lose. Nobody expected us to be here. Whereas Maryland, I think, has that chip. They feel underseated. They feel under-respected. They got, you know, a three-seed and thrown into Connecticut's region. I mean, there's probably no part of this that where Maryland feels like people, you know, have a lot of faith in them. So mm-hmm. is that a point of pressure for them when I still think Oregon's probably playing largely without pressure? And we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think that's a big picture, um, you know, overall in this tournament. You know, we talked about how we talk about how UConn handles that bullseye on their back so well. But you're right. Maryland openly was not happy with their seed. And I feel like they're out to prove that they are better than that seed. So there is some pressure that comes along with that. And then here comes an Oregon team that's like, oh, you know, we're here. This is our this is their first Sweet 16 appearance in program history. It was also their first win over a top two seed in TA tournament history. And they were 0-2 in that category. Uh, Ruthie Hebert, 20 points, 15 rebounds in, in Cameron Indoor Stadium. So they there are no expectations. And that's a very good point. How will Maryland handle the pressure? And then how will Oregon be able to continue to stay this loose? But I want to get back to your point um, about the Pac-12 because it's a great one. I mean, Wow. Five teams in the Sweet 16. We've got Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, UCLA, Stanford. Um, You know, some of those games in dominant fashion, always impressive no matter what. I mean, Arizona State, they lost to South Carolina, but they earned so much respect from me. In that environment, what they were able to do, I mean, it came down to a possession game. And, um, you know, in your opinion, in the last few years that you've covered this league, what is the biggest factor in how far they've come, how quickly in having balance and having parity and having some of the best teams in the country? You know, I think, I mean, you know, I know for the last couple of years, we've talked all about sort of Mike Neighbors and the RPI, you know, board and going and talking to all of the coaches about RPI. I honestly think the biggest factor in the rise of the Pac-12 in the last couple of years has been the Pac-12 network and the exposure and the and what how that's impacted recruiting, how that impacts a kid who might want to stay home closer to the West Coast, who might be a California kid or a kid from Washington or Oregon, where we've had some great basketball players through the years, but maybe they felt like they were never going to get seen on TV or nobody was ever going to watch their games or those kids are staying home. And I think it's because of the exposure of the network. Honestly, I think that they get to be, they get a ton of coverage on the West coast. They get seen on TV. The teams got better. The profile went huge. Did any, has anybody gotten more attention than Kelsey Plum this year? But if you're a great player and you're from California, you don't have to go East to get that kind of attention. Now you could go up to Seattle. You could go to LA. You could go to Corvallis, Oregon. And you can get a whole lot of attention as a women's basketball player because these schools have raised their profile so much. So I think that recruiting and RPI and all of that has done a lot to strengthen the quality of play in the conference. But I think it comes back to recruiting and getting incredibly talented kids to stay home. And then 
honestly, let's face it. I mean, you're going to get a l- lucky on a couple of recruits. Mike Neighbors with Chantel Osahor, I think he took a bit of a flyer on a kid that people thought was a unique talent. And that paid huge dividends for them because she plays at what he calls what video game stats is the line that he always uses. But, <laughs> you know, I don't know that anybody would have thought Chantel Osahor was going to be a star when she came into the Pac-12. I thought there were people who weren't even sure she would be able to play in the Pac-12 and just because of her various limitations with injuries and her size and that, but she's killed it. And so I think that, you know, it's a little bit of a combination of both, but you get great players to stay home on the West Coast, and this is what happens. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that because I've never heard that take before on it, right? Um, I've never heard the Pac-12 network. Like in, my, in my opinion, and I've said this openly, I think it's the coaching. You know, I think it's the coaches that have been hired by Pac-12 schools, you know, over the last five or ten years, whether it is a Mike Neighbors or Kelly Graves or Corey Close or Scott Ruick or, you know, I just feel like the, the some of the best coaches, Lindsey Gottlieb, in the country are, are now on the West Coast. But why is, you know, because programs have resources now to put into women's basketball. Programs yes. have resources that have been generated. I mean, if you if you want to really look at the big picture, programs have resources now to put into women's basketball. Stanford dominated this league for such a long time, but that university was always willing to put resources into women's basketball, certainly particularly after Tara built them into a national power. But there are there were programs that lagged behind from a resource standpoint. They weren't going to go. Oregon went out and got Kelly Graves from Spokane because they knew that the level of play in the Pac-12 was getting better and they needed to put more resources into women's basketball. Or even, I mean, UCLA, I would argue, even when they went and got Nikki Caldwell, which obviously leads to going to get Corey Close, you are able or are willing, depending on your athletic department, to put more more resources into resources into women's basketball so you go get a great coach and you bring somebody in who's going to turn your program around. Oregon State, I have to say, I mean, Oregon State to me is, you know, what Scott Ruick did over there considering that where they started and he was coming from a D3 program in Oregon. I think that that was sort of like chemistry, right? I mean, that just worked. It's like magic. I think that there's a lot of... (laughs) Yeah, it was. But there are a lot of other cases where I think that programs are now putting resources into women's basketball. We're going to see what happens at USC because, you know, obviously Cynthia Cooper was a big name hire for them. But a lot of people think that USC has lagged behind in the resources department. And now Mm -hmm. that the conference's profile has gotten so big, are you going to put more money into that hire? Are you going to bring somebody in and put more resources into that program now? Because now the pace is totally different. The bar is a whole lot higher it than you is. It is. For you to even be competitive in the league, you have really have to put some resources into your head coach. Um, a lot of great stuff for us to think about as we watch the Pac-12. Who do you think comes out of Bridgeport before you leave us, Michelle? Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're so complete. I wouldn't be – here's the thing. I actually think – I think that the the bigger push that they would get might be in the Sweet 16 game because I really like the way UCLA is playing right now. They're going to have to do it for a sustained period of time and hang in and stay within a range where they think that they can win that game because obviously that's the key. But, I mean, I think that, you know, I think that's kind of the key to Connecticut really getting pushed. I actually see them getting pushed less in the Elite Eight game against either of the two 
teams on the other side of the bracket than I do against UCLA. Mm, very interesting. That is the word from Michelle Smith. Michelle, where can we follow you um, for the rest of, of the NCAA Women's Tournament season? Um, well, on Twitter, I'm MaxSmith413, and I will be in Stockton, and then I will be in Dallas, and I will be excited to see you. Yay! I was going to say, that means good stuff for me, because I'm headed to Stockton, you'll be there, and we get to spend time in Dallas. Michelle Smith, thank you so much for all of your work and all of your wonderful insight, and we will uh, see you very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. Well, fans, it is the fourth quarter, but it's March Madness, so there's no out-of-bounds. Everything is inbounds because it's all about basketball. It's all about March Madness. It's all about the NCAA tournament. So really, our recommendation to you is um, turn on your television this weekend because there's going to be some fantastic women's basketball on Friday, March 24th. That's this Friday. Number five seed Ohio State will take on Notre Dame. That will have the crew of Beth Mullins, Debbie Antonelli, and Allison Williams. That will be on ESPN. Following that game on ESPN2, we're moving to the Oklahoma City region for semifinal, regional semifinals, where number three, Washington, will take on Mississippi State with a crew of Pam Ward, Gail Gessencourt, and Kaylee Hartung. And later that night on Friday night, it is the Lexington region again. Beth, Debbie, and Allison will have number three, Texas, against number two, Stanford on ESPN, and the Oklahoma City region once again with Louisville and Baylor, Pam Ward, Gail Gessencores, Kaylee Hartung, and that's on ESPN2. Now on Saturday, the Bridgeport Regional Semifinal, number 10, Oregon, number 3, Maryland, Dave O'Brien, Doris Burke, Carol Lawson, Holly Rowe. Wow, that is quite the crew. 11.30 a.m. tip on ESPN. 1.30 um, is the second game of the Bridgeport Regional semifinal. And it will be number four UCLA against number one UConn, Dave O'Brien, Doris Burke, Carol Lawson, Holly Rowe. Later that evening on Saturday, Stockton Regional, number 12 Quinnipiac versus number one South Carolina. Dave Pash, myself, and Molly McGrath. And at 6 p.m., um, the second game of the Stockton Regional semifinal, number three Florida State. Number two, Oregon State. We've got you again for that also on ESPN. And then just wait out and see. But the games in the regional finals, depending on who wins, will be Sunday and Monday. So tune in and support ESPN. Wonderful coverage. Great job in studio by Rebecca, Andy, and Maria. Um, Tariq and I, you can find us on Twitter. We are always open to your comments. Hashtag Around the Rim. I am at LaChina Robinson. Tarika Foster Brasby is at SheKnowsSports underscore. You can download us on the ESPN app and listen to us. You can also subscribe on iTunes. And with that, we will see you next week. And we will have four teams to break down because we'll be headed to Dallas for the final four. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.